chapter 4, and we're going to finish, but we're going to read it and then go back through it, okay? Uh, starting at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn their ear away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I kept the faith henceforth. Therefore there is a crown laid up for me of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Do all thy diligence to come unto me shortly. For Demas, uh, Demas excuse me, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Croesus to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia, Dalmatia, I guess that's it. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he, for he is profitable unto me for ministry. And Titus, which I have sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I have left at Tros with uh, Campus, when, you can't, when, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, and the Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou warned also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no one stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onsepius. Estrus abode at Corinth, but Tremothens, uh -huh, yeah, that one, have I left in Meltium, sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Ebulus greeteth thee, and Perdens, and Lilian, uh, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now this last chapter, I want to start with a little prelude. Paul is making his last statements. Do you understand that these are probably Paul's final written words to anyone? Period. This is probably it. Okay? You want the ESV where, where it says, I am ready in the, in the King James, it says, I am now ready to be offered in the in the ESV, and the NIV, and the uh, New King James, it says, I am already about to be poured out like a drink offering. He's saying that the time of my departure is at hand. Why? Because he's in Rome in prison, and he's about to die for his faith. And more often than not, a man's final words are probably the truest and the most important words that he can ever say. And I want you to understand the gravity of why Paul's writing this letter. It makes sense now after reading the first three chapters of why Paul is admonishing Timothy so uh, fervently to 
be on guard against false teachers so fervently about holding firm to sound doctrine, about preaching the word and being faithful in the word because Paul himself was no longer going to be able to be there and help Timothy. So Timothy had to be equipped to be a pastor, an elder, a leader, and not look back. This is the reason Paul's writing this letter. Amen? I want to start right there. Paul's final words are three final admonitions or three final uh, uh, thoughts. First, preach the word. Second, fulfill your ministry. And then he says, be diligent. Do your best to come and see me soon. Amen? We'll start in verse 1. Paul here is invoking God as a witness to what he is going to say. Something that Paul does all too often. Notice his words. And I'm going to read, I can read it out of the King James and the ESV. The King James says, I charge thee before God. The ESV says, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Amen. So what is he saying? He's giving him a solemn charge. First of all, that's the first thing we need to realize. He's solemnly charging him. What is a charge? A command, right? Paul, as an apostle, is commanding Timothy as an elder to preach the word. This is his final words. These are the last things he's ever going to say to this young man. And he could be saying all kinds of things, but he's focused on the gospel still. If you haven't got it yet, the reason America's been in the situation that it's in right now is not because there isn't a massive amount of preachers. It's because there's a massive amount of preachers who aren't preaching the word. They're preaching what makes people feel good. They're preaching what makes people tickle their ears and what people want to hear, but they are not standing on the word of God and preaching the truth of the word of God. They are preaching fables and lies and they are just running after them. It's not a surprise. Since man first sinned in the garden, notice man sinned, Eve and Adam, they sinned. And then as soon as they heard the voice of the Lord, their God walking in the cool of the garden, they ran and hid. Man is no different today. Fallen man's purpose, fallen man's nature is to run from God or the things of God. And we, when we begin to distort the word of God and preach the, only the pieces that sound good, only the pieces that tickle my ear and lift or make me feel good, what we're doing is we're clearly hiding from God. I want to read a few notes here. Having just reminded Timothy of his early training in the scriptures, and the power and divine origin of the scriptures. What is he talking about? Chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What did it say before that? You have known the scriptures from your youth. They're able to make you wise unto salvation. Amen. He's talking about the things that he's already reminded him of this before this chapter. And at the end of chapter 3 ended with him reminding him that the scriptures are what's going to edify me, build me up. Notice, if you go back, it says all scriptures breathed out by God is able to teach, reprove, correct, and train in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Why are these men of God not equipped for every good work? Because they're not reading and believing God's word. They only preach what they want to out of it. They only talk about the issues that are comfortable for them to talk about. They won't preach the whole counsel of God. They won't preach the whole Bible. Paul's telling Timothy, I already encouraged you to do it this way, but others are coming. They're going to do it a different way. Amen? 
chapter 3 ends with a reference to being competent and equipped. And verse 4, 1 through 8, then describes the specific work of leadership that Timothy is now to show himself competent to do. First, he presents him a charge followed by a reason for the necessity of the charge. Finally, he returns to the charge in contrast with evil of the current situation. Paul provides another example heightening the seriousness of his charge that his death is imminent because he has preached the word. Paul is charging Timothy to solemnly, eschatologically uh, persevere. He's not just given eschatological perspective, excuse me, by reminding him of things for the future, but since he's admonishing Timothy that it's happening, he's not just talking about a future event, he's talking about what's going on right then with Timothy. Why else, if, if, this, if this charge was just 2,000 years away, why tell Timothy? He doesn't need to know it. He's not going to be there to worry about it, right? But the reality is he's telling Timothy because it was already happening. We realize when we talk about the last days now, we're not thinking of the future. The last days started when Christ came. The first incarnation of Christ began the last days, and it will culminate with the second coming of Christ. Okay? understand the context of this that he's not just telling him hey this is what's going to happen in some distant future but this is what's going to happen very soon now i told you that paul uses this uh you invokes god as a witness several times in scripture and i just want to read one of those for you uh if you'll turn to uh romans 1 and 9 uh, and I have one, two, three, four. I just wrote down four of them. I don't want to read all four of them because then we'll uh, spend way too much time reading these and not enough in our text. Romans 1 and 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with the Spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you. This is something that Paul does often. In scripture, God as my witness, God bears witness of me. Amen. This is something that Jesus said, the Father bears witness of me, the scriptures bear witness of me. Amen. It's not a new concept. Paul is saying, I stand right now, I'm calling God as a witness as I'm charging you with this charge. Amen. But also, this is a solemn charge, it's a command. In the presence and before God to Timothy, this is a serious statement that's about to happen then. Amen? Can we agree? Just textually, just in the text, this is a serious subject if he's starting out with, I, I charge you in the presence of God. Amen? Take notes, right? It's time to listen. Amen? Notice that he doesn't just say, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, but he implies that Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. Amen? Do you want some scriptures for that? You can go to verse 8 of this same chapter. You can go to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We're talking about the sheep and the goats. It's the Son of Man who separates them and judges them. You can go to John 5 and 22. John 5 and 27 where he said the father has given the son all judgment and will judge all things. Amen. That's the Jesus. He's, he's not just saying, hey, I uh, charge you before God and, and, and Jesus Christ just to throw it out there like maybe you should worry about it. Now he's telling you that Jesus is going to judge you if you don't do what I'm about to tell you to do. Amen. Amen. So this ought to be a solemn warning for any pastor out there who ever reads this text. Amen? Uh, also, Acts 10, 42, for Jesus being the judge of all, okay? 
Uh, I've got one note that I'd like to read right here. <clears throat> this solemn charge is heightened by references to living before the gaze of God to the fact that God is the judge to Christ's second coming, his appearing, and the reality of the present reign of his kingdom. Amen? Do you realize when Jesus rose victorious, we're not just waiting for a future kingdom, which we are, but Jesus sits on the throne right now. Amen? That there ain't going to come a day when all of a sudden Jesus is finally sitting on the throne. He's already there. What did, what did Stephen say when he was stoned? Behold, I see one like unto the Son of Man standing beside the throne of God. Amen. You read the book of Revelation, it said, And I saw in the midst of the throne one who looked like a lamb that had been slain. In the midst of the throne. Paul's admonition comes with such emphasis because he is facing certain death and would not be there any longer to guide Timothy or to instruct him in his journey of being a pastor. Amen? Amen. Now the next verse is very, very profound. Preach the word. Amen. Notice his, his charge was not, hey, make sure everybody likes you. And hey, make sure they all feel the love of God. And hey, make sure that. He said, preach the word. What does he mean? What does he mean, preach the word? Okay, because we get all kinds of ideas. What the word of God is, okay? We oh, you know, uh, well, I'm gonna tell you what it ain't. <clears throat> Every revelation given in the New Testament that we have was referenced from Old Testament. God did not just give Paul and Peter and John all these weird visions of some brand new thing. It was God's intent throughout, even when he had established the law, his intention was grace. The law was there to show them they could not do it. And that they needed God's grace. Amen? We can't separate Old Testament from New Testament, okay? The, the Old Testament, although we are not bound to the sacrificial system of the law, it is still a sin to murder, ain't it? It's still a sin to commit adultery. Okay, so let's throw off the pretenses that the, the gospel writers, the, 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 you know, uh, the New Testament writers, just wrote all this brand new stuff that had nothing to do with the Old Testament, do you realize that nearly half of the New Testament is Old Testament quotes? Amen. They are showing you through God's word that Jesus is the Christ. The whole point of the Bible is to show you Christ. The whole point of scripture was to point to God. That's the whole point. Every time. Do you realize that for centuries before Jesus came, they would take a piece of bread and they'd break it and they'd hide a piece. Do you know what that represented? The lamb that they were going to slay on the day of atonement for their sin. Do you know why his body was broken for you? Because he was the lamb that was slain on the day of atonement for your sin. Jesus was killed at Passover. It's not a coincidence that Jesus died at Passover. It was important for him to do that so the Jew had no excuse for not seeing the signs of the Messiah. 
Now, I'm not saying we all bound to the law and we got to follow it and that's how we get saved. That's a whole different subject. The subject of salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen? But the law still shows me that I'm a sinner. Amen? And even after I come to Christ, the law still points at me and says, hey, you need Christ more. You need, you, amen? The law ought to always point to my great need for Christ. Christ followed the law. Christ followed. Do you realize when Jesus took the bread and broke it, it was something that he had done his entire life. When he broke the bread, it was just unleavened crackers is what they were, okay? That bread was something that he had done his entire life. And now he sat there in front of his disciples and revealed the entire meaning of it when he broke it. The new covenant that Jeremiah promised. The, 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 the Savior that would come in Isaiah 53 was being revealed to them before their very eyes. And they knew it when he went to the cross and he rose from the dead. They knew everything that he had taught them for three and a half years was absolutely true. Amen? What's the word of God? <clears throat> the charge itself is spelled out in five imperatives with a verb. And four more in verse five. Preach the word refers back to the scripture. We need to look back to uh, verse 316 in chapter 3. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And thus includes proclaiming the good news of the gospel in a broad, biblically anchored sense. We don't get to just proclaim the gospel however we see it. We have to proclaim the gospel as it was written, as it has been revealed. Amen? Amen? Watch this. Gospel for Paul is not only evangelical presentation. The gospel is the core message found in the whole of scripture, which can be applied to unbelievers to call to faith or to believers to call to continue to believe and live out the implications of this message. This is the way we preach the gospel, by expounding upon the scriptures. Be ready in season and out of season. When, it is not, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. It means the communicating of all scripture included doctrine, instruction, correction, and encouragement, patience, in such teaching is again encouraged. The gospel is this. Do you realize now when we look back into the Old Testament, we see all the types in the shadows of Christ, don't we? Moses was a type and a shadow of Christ. Amen? Jonah in the belly of the whale. We know that one for sure because Jesus makes reference to himself. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Amen? Amen. Come on. This isn't some new thing. There is a new covenant, but it was completely founded and proclaimed from the truth of God's word. That's why when the Bereans heard the message, do you know what the Bereans were? Anybody? They were Jews. And when those Jewish men heard the gospel that Paul preached, what did they do? They went back and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. The gospel cannot be separated from the scripture. We can't, we can't even begin to try to do that. If we, if we try to separate the gospel and the holy word of God, we are walking in error. Come on, come on, I'll let you preach now. <laughs> I got a couple more notes here before I get lost. Brian, you're going to get me lost on that. The word, the whole word of God is emphasized upon the gospel. Uh, you can look at, flip back to 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul, we've already read this, but Paul says this, do your best to present 
to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Or the King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. That means all of the scripture at that point had spoken about Christ. And all it took was an eye to look back and a heart that could see what God already revealed about his self, his son, the coming Messiah, the way he was going to save them. Notice that when people go, there ain't no new covenant, and you point them to Jeremiah 31 and 31 where he says, Behold, I make a new covenant with my people Israel because they broke the former covenant. It will not be like the covenant that I gave them when I led them out of the land of Egypt. Come on, what, what, what covenant was that? That was the Moses, the Mosaic covenant, right? The law, right? He says it's not going to be like that. What's it going to be like? By grace are you saved through faith. Amen? That's the new covenant. The covenant in Jesus' blood that he sheds for sinners just like me and you. Amen? One more, one more note. I know, I know. I've got a lot of notes. <laughs> I, I think I read that note already. That's good. I'm ahead, of, I'm ahead of the game. Good. Awesome. Let's keep going. The whole word of God. That's what I want to preach about for a minute. The whole word of God with an emphasis on the gospel. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we must rightly divide the word of truth. The scriptures bear witness of Christ, John 5 and 39. And there is only one gospel that we must preach, Galatians 1, 8 and 9. The word is Christ. The gospel is Christ. They are not separate. Preach the word, Timothy. And then he tells him, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These things are part of preaching the word. People go, well, it ain't your job to, to make me, uh, to, to talk about, you know, my sin. Look, just because I bring up sin from the pulpit, I point you out. I ain't never called somebody out by name from right here. Okay, maybe Joe Olstein. I, I did call him out by name. But even if I do, the word of God is not, it's not me. It's the word of God that's saying the things that I'm saying. Amen. So I looked up the words reprove, reprove, elegeko. That's the Greek uh, Kevin enunciation of that word. <clears throat> it means to confute or to admonish. Rebuke, eptimeo, to rebuke or warn or to forbid. Exhort, parkeleo. To call, to invite. So I'm to admonish, to rebuke or warn or forbid, and I'm to call and invite people to follow the word of God. Amen? Amen? That's what we should be doing. That's what preaching the word looks like. Amen? Verse 3, he says this. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, first, what I want to point out in this, it says Paul is exhorting Timothy in how to respond to these things. He did not refer only to some distant future event, but to a situation he expected Timothy to face or was already facing. Okay, so let's make it clear that this is not just a future event, and I'm not discounting that it means something for us because all you got to do is turn the TV on and you'll know that people are preaching false doctrine, false gospels, uh, a false message all the time. Right, those scriptures are still happening, amen, and that's because the last days started and they haven't ended yet, amen. Uh, lastly, I want to read another note here. I got all, I got three Bibles here today. You guys are in trouble, okay? 
three Bibles up here. The time is coming. Since Paul exhorts Timothy on how to respond when these things occur, it is apparent that he is not referring merely to some time in the distant future, but a situation he expects Timothy to face. Itching ears indicates a yearning for novelty that results in a pursuit of teaching or teachers who will tell people what they want to hear. Instead of the orthodox teachers like Timothy, they will try to find some that suits their own passions. And that's what we got today. People, all everyone wants to be rich. That's why if you preach about money, you'll get a whole crowd full of people at your church. But you ain't preaching the gospel. And, you know, especially a lot of us go through our own ailments and our own hurts. And if you tell everybody God wants to heal everybody all the time, no matter what. Even though Jesus healed one blind man and then walked away. He went to the pool of Bethesda, healed one crippled man. Do you realize that scholars believe, especially since this was the time of Passover, there was upwards of 3,000 men who were crippled, lame, blind, or hurting, laying by that pool. But Jesus only healed one You can take it how you want. We know that there was other men there, don't we? Scripture says, uh, there's nobody here to help me in the water. And when the water's stirred, somebody else gets in before me. Now what he said? So we know there was other people there. Oh, the other people that needed healed. But Jesus only healed that one guy. That will fly in the face of modern uh, teaching that God wants to heal everybody all the time, no matter what. You realize that God struck people with affliction? Look at the Old Testament. God did that all the time. Amen? God done things like that all the time. And to think that just because someone's sick, it's the devil, not necessarily true. That's not necessarily What did the guy who was born, uh, remember the guy that they put in through the roof? And the disciples, they said, who sinned? This, this man or his parents that he was born like this? And he said, neither this man nor his parents. But this was that God would be glorified. You understand God has a purpose to glorify himself even in the suffering of other people. Do you realize that God's most glorious moment was the suffering of his own son on the cross? What looked like failure, what looked like defeat, God turned it around for the salvation of all the elect. Amen? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, right? Come on. Come on. Where are we all going to be? Not thirsty anymore. Right. Heaven. Heaven. It's not here. Come on, preach. You're, I'm going to let you go. I'm bringing a microphone to you in a minute. <laughs> People don't want sound biblical teaching that challenges them, that requires devotion from them, devoted to reading and studying, and most of all, rigorous application that conforms them thoroughly. To the image of Christ, people don't want that. They don't want Job. They don't want to even hear about it. I wrote this down, and I want you to write it down if you can. People don't want sound biblical teaching that challenges them, that requires devotion, devoted reading or studying, and most of all, rigorous application that conforms them to the image of Christ. They don't want that. What people want is this surface level Christianity that's just this and no more. They don't think they need to be devoted. They don't think they need to pray. They don't think they need to come to church. They don't think they have, they don't think any of this stuff is what it means to be a Christian. Even though Paul says over and over and over and over, and Paul preached grace. Amen. Paul's whole message was Christ, faith in Christ alone. Amen. 
but that changes you. A real firm born again experience where my heart is truly regenerated changes how I behave. It changes who I am. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. We've got to understand that surface level Christianity, bumper sticker Christianity, I call it. Bumper sticker Christianity is not real Christianity. Believing in Jesus Christ is more than just saying it. It is. James said, can faith that doesn't produce works save anybody? No. Paul not against that. Paul believes in grace through faith. Paul also believes that faith changes you. He says it all throughout his letters to all the churches. Amen? Over and over, Paul admonishes us this. So they find people who will teach them what they want to hear. It says they heap to them. I like the King James on this verse, okay? It says, it says they will heap to themselves. Kick. Sorry, I about belts right in my mouth because it made me sick. Uh, can y'all can y'all tell me that it ain't heaped up all, all, all over now? This this crazy false doctrine stuff is heaped everywhere, ain't it? And they're heaping more to themselves. Oh, I read a thing. I read a thing the other day, where where this woman who's been in uh, women's ministry for forty years and she faithfully actually preaches the Bible, not this other junk that you see on TV. And she's concerned, and I am too, that so many of our women's groups are just falling in line with whatever woman. Uh, uh, Bible teacher or whoever it is is putting the next book out and they don't even care that it's uh, charismania or you know all this health wealth and prosperity stuff and they'll just oh it's just a women's Bible study no that's why it's important do you understand all that we read through Timothy where Paul's telling you look you women have to learn and grow in the knowledge of the word of God too amen didn't he tell Remember we preached the whole thing on silly women? Well, why are they silly? Because they're not grounded in truth and they're not following Christ and they're not living the life that Paul's telling them they should live. That's the whole reason he wrote the letter and told them, hey, straighten up. Amen. Amen. We need sound, biblically sound women teachers out there for our women's groups and women's ministries. We don't need all this fluffy Fat naked angel babies on clouds, Christianity. We need raw, real Christianity. That when the rubber meets the road, all women will be like the women in these days, willing to lay down their life for the gospel. Amen. We need men like that. We need men to stand up and be in the place that men are supposed to be in. Amen. Verse 4, before I get lost. It says, they will turn their ear away from the truth, and they will they shall be turned unto fables. Now, these fables we've talked about over and over throughout First and Second Timothy. Remember, first part of First Timothy, we talked about uh, uh, fables and myths and genealogies and all that stuff, right? We talked about it in this book, all these myths and fables. And that's what you've got going on nowadays. Does God heal people? Yes. Is God going to heal every single person all the time? Absolutely, emphatically, no, he doesn't. Because if he did, I wouldn't be wearing glasses. Amen. If he did, the guy that you watch on TV that's some super healer wouldn't be walking around with a pacemaker in his chest. Amen. To walk around in a blind lie to to think that God's just walking in some kind of superpower that they can call up any time they want is ridiculous nonsense. Amen. The same people that preach faith, healing, and give me your money have more money than you and probably more health problems than you. Amen. I know several of them do. I could name some, but I'm not going to. It would be nice. 
Verse 5, Paul gives his final exhortation to Timothy. He says, but watch thou in all things. And the ESV says it this way, and I kind of like how the ESV says it too. He says, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Uh-oh. I know we don't like that one, right? Sober, what? You know, back in the day, if you found a sober Baptist, it was probably a, a miracle in itself. But, you know, nowadays, we're not quite that away. Come on, you can laugh at that's good stuff. And Baptist preachers was bad about that, you know. I'm I ain't lying. Look, you got a whole bunch of Pentecostal people now that's doing fornication and sleeping with people in their churches and getting thrown out of their churches. Man, look at that guy over there in uh, Australia. What was that guy? Hillsong's pastor got thrown out or whatever. Because they think they're above this. They think they're above following Christ the way the Bible says. They get caught up with being a celebrity preacher, being important. You realize your pastor shouldn't be important. Your pastor should think every one of you is more important than himself. Because the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Amen? Finally, he says, <laughs> Watch thou in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Now I want to read this in the ESV. It says, As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Now I want you to write this down because I give you a little equation. Watching Enduring and evangelizing. That's the formula that you know you're doing ministry right. Amen? You're ever watchful. Watchful for what? False teaching. That's the whole point of First and Second Timothy was to exhort about false teaching. False teaching, false teachers, false doctrines. It's the whole thing. Watch. Endure. Once you start telling people their doctrine is wrong, they're going to be mad at you. They're going to get upset at you when you show them with the word of God that what they're preaching is not biblical. They're going to get upset with you. That's what happened to Paul. This is what happened to Timothy. This is what happened to Peter. This is what happened to James. Do you realize these people didn't just mysteriously get caught by Rome? They were delivered by Rome, to Rome by the people around them. That's how they got there. Make full proof of your ministry or this is the fulfilling of his ministry. You cannot fulfill your ministry and not do these three things. Now Paul begins his discourse. He said, I am now ready to be poured out. I want to read it out in the ESV because it's a little clearer English understanding for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Here Paul was making reference to the Old Testament again. The drink offering was uh, uh, an offering of, of wine or vinegar or a com combination of spices that they pour out at the altar. It didn't have any blood in it or anything. It was just a, it was a, it was an offering of wine, water, uh, things like that, right? He says, I'm being re about ready to be poured out like a drink offering and my time of departure has come. Now, I wrote, a, I wrote another thing down that I want you to make note of. <laughs> Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Do you want a model for Christian living? Fight. Fight earnestly, contend for the faith, he said. Remember that verse? We got to earnestly contend for the faith. Fight. That's why I played that song. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. 
Lift, lift high the royal banner. It must not suffer loss. It's not about you. It's about the gospel of God. And about it not being tarnished. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ not being talked about in a negative way. Not being brought low, but being held high. That Jesus is the standard and we follow him. That's the goal. Fight. And don't give up. Finish the course. So often when we feel like we're losing the race, what do we do? Now, I'm going to tell you a story on me because Brian's always been faster than me, okay? And I'd get there, and I'd, I'd want to race him every once in a while just to see if I got any faster, and I never did, okay? And, and sometimes I'd run with everything I had because I thought I had a chance. And maybe he was slowing down to give me a chance. I don't know, okay? He ain't going to admit it probably, but maybe he did. But there were several other times where it felt like there ain't no way I'm going to win, and you know what I did? I just quit running. Paul's admonition that he fought a good fight, finished his course, is saying, don't worry about what it looks like. Don't think about it in terms of winning and losing like earthly terms. Because don't worry, you're going to win. How do I know he's saying that? Because the next verse, what he says in the next verse, proves everything that I'm about to tell you. And then finally he said, I kept the faith. Paul, you're not going to keep the faith without running, without, without fighting, without finishing the course. And, and my brother and I had to talk about this, and he said, well, what about them people that looked like they were running and then they quit? What happened to them? Maybe they weren't running for the wrong reason. Because there's a whole lot of people that's going to stand in judgment saying, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I not do this other thing? And he said, I never knew you. Amen. Amen? Paul's making all these admonishments to, so you can know that if I'm doing these things then I'm really in the faith. Amen. You understand? <laughs> Finally, he says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not me only, but all them who love his appearing. He's telling you, I, I fought a good fight, finished my course, I kept the faith. Now I'm getting the victor's crown. Paul getting the victor's crown he got it by being beheaded in Rome for his faith. That's how he, Paul got his head laid down on that stump and his head severed and immediately stood in the presence of God and was given a crown of righteousness. Now for anybody that wants a reference to this crown that Paul could be talking about, 1 Peter 4, or 1 Peter 5 and 4, there's a reference for this crown. And Revelation 2 and 10, there is a reference to this crown. Verse 9 through the final few chapters, uh, final few verses here, Paul is asking Timothy to be diligent and come to him as quickly as he can. And then he starts talking about the people who have forsaken him. Amen? How many of you know how Paul feels? He had people that just ran out, left, you know, kind of bailed on him. Amen? Notice what Paul says in verse 16. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. So here Paul in his final breaths, his final penning of a letter, is forgiving anyone who forsook him, anyone who failed to stand beside him. And he's saying, I pray that God does not count it against them. Amen? Can you see how Paul's progression here ending this letter, he's really talking to Timothy like he's possibility that he's never going to see him again if Timothy doesn't hurry up and get back. Amen? 
Finally, he's finishing. He said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, strengthened me that uh, uh, by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear that I was delivered out of the mouth of, all, uh, out of, the, mouth of the lion. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory and honor forever and ever. And his last uh, charge to Timothy, again in verse 21, do thy diligence to come before winter. Amen. He's trying to tell Timothy, I ain't got long. I might not make it till winter. Hurry up. Amen. Now I want to admonish you. The same words that Paul said in this letter. Preach the word. Do your work. Make foolproof of your ministry. I don't know what your ministry is, what God called you to do, whether it's just helping people, being a friend to people, whatever God called you to do. Make foolproof of it. And fight. Fight. Run your race. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we close and we'll pray over our lunch. We made it all the way through Timothy. Somebody give God a hand clap to praise. That's awesome. <laughs> Father God, we thank you, Lord, and praise you that we were able to hear the gospel this morning, God. Lord, I pray for those that are going to listen to the, the recording of this, Lord, or watch it. Lord, I pray that it would convict and call and draw people unto you, Lord. Lord, that you would do only what you can do in the hearts of men and women that hear this, that you would save and sanctify and set apart those whom you will. Lord, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us to fight our good fight, to finish our course, to run our race, that we would keep the faith. Lord, we ask that you would bless this food that we're about to partake of. And Lord, we ask that you would help our fellowship, that it would grow in love and strength and depth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.